Hello, this is Bishop Michael Fisher of the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. Perhaps you've been asked this question before. If you could have dinner with anyone in history, living or deceased, who would it be? Well, as part of the Diocese of Buffalo's 175th anniversary celebration, we thought it would be interesting to try something like that. And so through the abilities of technology and imagination, we've arranged to meet with some of the people whose work and faith helped shape the diocese and whose impacts are still seen and felt in the community today. We invite you now to sit back, relax, and enjoy this feast for your ears and your spirit. Welcome to Dinners with Our Founders. Here's your host of Dinners with Our Founders, Steve Sishan. Thank you, Your Excellency, and welcome, everyone. Having access to adequate health care is a generations-old issue. Even today, the ability to obtain needed care is a struggle for countless people, including here in western New York. This was even more so in the earliest decades of our home state, city, and diocese. And if you were a Catholic or if you were poor back in the 1800s, you were also subject to prejudice by the providers. When Bishop John Timon began running the brand-new Diocese of Buffalo, he recognized the need for a centralized health care system within the city of Buffalo. When seeking the people to make this happen, he decided the Sisters of Charity were the right religious order to take on the task. And so a group of sisters came to Buffalo to build a hospital system which continues to this day. Their leader is our current guest. Please welcome Sister Ursula Mattingly. Hello and thank you. As you know, we like to welcome important shapers of the Diocese of Buffalo for dinner I've already taken the liberty of ordering our meals. I appreciate that, but hope that you remembered that we sisters have taken vows of poverty. We're modest in our culinary selections. Oh yes, of course. I'm very respectful of that. And I hope you agree that what I chose isn't too lavish, but also proves quite nourishing. Oh, here's our meal now. Two servings of baked haddock with a side of Caesar salad. That looks delightful. Thank you. Mmm, delicious. Well, I'm glad you like it, sister. While we dine, I'd like to hear your story about following the religious life, your mission to Buffalo, and the challenges you faced along the way. Certainly. It's not easy to choose this path, but a strong faith in God, a strong faith in Christ, it's important to stay strong, even when you're feeling most challenged, overwhelmed, and perhaps exhausted. As I understand, your extended family was very strong in Catholic faith. Yes, that's true. Our love of Christ ran far and deep in the Mattingly family. Our family first settled in Maryland in colonial times. My great-great-great-great-grandfather was Thomas Mattingly, who with his wife Elizabeth left Berkshire, England for Maryland, arriving there in the year 1664. My father was Samuel Mattingly, born February 12, 1776, only a few months before the colonies declared independence from the English crown. My mother's maiden name was Honora Durbin. I was named for her when I was born on October 23, 1808. I was one of five children, but my father, Samuel, he was one of 12 children. His brother, William, along with his wife, Sarah, left Maryland to live in the new state of Ohio. They settled in Muskingum County. They were the first Catholics to settle there and the first of many Mattingly family members who would also move there. Their community became known as Mattingly Settlement, where St. Mary's Church was founded. So what about your own direct family line? 
While there are many records on the history of my cousins in Ohio, there isn't such widely available information on my own family life while I grew up. But were the Maryland Mattingleys just as strong in their faith? We certainly were. As a very young woman, I heard the Lord's call toward a vocation and answered. At the age of 21, I traveled to Emmitsburg, Maryland, the home of the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph. It later became known as the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul. It was founded by Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was the first U.S.-born person to be canonized a saint by the Catholic Church. This was to become my place, my purpose. On October 10, 1830, just a couple of weeks before my 22nd birthday, I entered the order. When I was clothed with the habit, I took on the name Ursula. From the beginning, I was assigned to sites where my sisters and I would work directly with the sick and the poor. Over my first few years as a sister, I, I served at numerous institutions in Baltimore and Philadelphia. These included several orphanages and hospitals for both the physically and the mentally ill. Such work was consistent with the Sisters of Charity, as our mission was to serve the poor through corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Corporal works included visiting the sick and, of course, feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty. Spiritual works include comforting the afflicted. All of the works really were relevant to our mission. When did your mission bring you to Buffalo? 17 years after I took my vows. In 1847, Bishop John Tymon had just arrived in Buffalo himself to begin overseeing the newly formed Diocese of Buffalo. He saw that there was not a well-organized healthcare system, especially one to serve immigrants and poor among the population. This concerned him, especially as Buffalo was experiencing a steady growth in its Catholic population. Of all the orders he could have chosen, he was especially interested in recruiting the Sisters of Charity. Huh. So what was it about your order that he found so appealing? There were several reasons why he was interested in us. He, he liked the fact that our order was founded by St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. We were already experienced in running hospitals, including the first hospital west of the Mississippi River in St. Louis, which the sisters established back in the year 1828. While I was born in the United States, many of my sisters were born in Europe, including Ireland and Germany. The bishop recognized we might be able to better connect with similar immigrants in Buffalo. Bishop Diamond also recognized our ability to work alongside Protestants, it might seem like an odd statement to make in your modern world, where diversity is a part of everyday workplaces. But in my lifetime on Earth, there was a strong anti-Catholic sentiment in the United States, and in many communities, the Protestant establishment in power would exercise that prejudice openly. Our mother house accepted Bishop Timon's invitation, and I was asked to lead the group of sisters who would travel to Buffalo for this new mission. On June 3, 1848, several of us arrived in Buffalo. Bishop Timon had accommodations ready for us. He had purchased an unused brick schoolhouse and an adjacent cottage at the corner of what are now Pearl and Virginia Streets. This is where we would set up our hospital and also our own living quarters. We brought in 100 beds for the hospital. And on October 1st, just under four months after we arrived, we officially opened Sisters of Charity Hospital. It was the first large healthcare facility within the city of Buffalo. You mentioned a moment ago that the sisters were recruited because of their experience working alongside Protestants in an era of open anti-Catholic sentiment. Did you face any resistance from the general public? Not at first. We aided the sick as needed with little outside attention. 
If anything, the early reviews were positive. One of the local newspapers, the Buffalo Morning Express, which later became the Courier Express, even published the comment, quote, the city is well received in having a hospital for its own. We also gained financial support for the New York State Legislature. Although we were a religious-based hospital, the state government was willing to provide financial support for such facilities in places where non-sectarian hospitals did not exist. Our hospital was eligible and received $9,000. There wasn't any fanfare over that funding. However, word of it soon got to several of Buffalo's Protestant doctors, and in the coming weeks they became increasingly unsettled by it. American society in that day was decidedly a man's world. Women lived under many restrictions in social settings, in civic duty, and even in religion. But this was also a time in U.S. history when serious conversations about women's rights were first being held. Only a few months before we opened our hospital in Buffalo, the Women's Rights Convention was held in Seneca Falls, where 100 participants signed the Declaration of Sentiments, a document which listed grievances over the stifling of women's freedoms. As you can imagine, many men of influence didn't take that well. Unfortunately, anti-Catholic attitudes were out in the open at this time. Women of religious orders often found themselves the target of open bigotry. Gentlemen, gentlemen, let us settle down. I have heard your complaints about this new hospital opened by this order of Catholic nuns, and I share your concerns about its administration. I must agree with you all. A large 100-bed hospital run by just a handful of nuns? That is most inadequate. To have a hospital run as such would be a detriment to those being treated there. Unacceptable. Never unacceptable. Yes, that's Absolutely outrageous. Not. But I see another serious issue here. These are Catholics who come from abroad, who by their allegiance to the Pope cannot entirely have allegiance to this community. And as Catholic nuns, certainly as part of their supposed medical care, they will seek to impose their spiritual will on their patients. This will not do. Absolutely. They are a parochial operation and thus should not be eligible for state or county funding to advance their enterprise. Gentlemen, we must hold our state legislature accountable for this misuse of public funds. Yes, yes. we will. Yes, yes. 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 Reverend Lord launched what would become a war of words in the form of letters to local newspapers. He wrote to the Buffalo Morning Express, which published this letter on February 16, 1850. Dear Editor and Sirs, This letter is written in protest of the New York State Legislature's decision to fund the Sisters of Charity Hospital in Buffalo without securing the rights of the public therein or requiring any of the usual guarantees of the appropriation of that money. Much dissatisfaction has been felt and expressed in regards to the actions of the legislature. Sincerely, Constituents. Yes, that's how he signed it. Constituents. Well, at least he came up with a name. During my many years working in Buffalo Broadcasting, I received plenty of complaint messages, but usually they were most courageously unsigned. <laughs> yes, I guess they sure showed you. <laughs> they sure did. So how did you end up responding to that letter to the editor? We didn't. Instead, it was Bishop Tymon who came to our defense. 
In his written reply to the newspaper, which was published two days later, the bishop defended Sisters of Charity Hospital as an institution resting on the broad lines of charity without reference to creed, color, or country. Reverend Lord, oops, I mean constituents, sent yet another complaint letter. Dear Editor and Sirs, the idea of Sisters of Charity Hospital being charitable is ridiculous. Also ridiculous is the provision of money by the state legislature under the guise of funding health care. It is quite obvious this funding was provided by these politicians with the hopes of winning votes from newly arriving Catholic immigrants. Look at the timing of this funding. It comes just before elections. Coincidence? We think not. Most sincerely, constituents. Though he was most proud of his Irish Catholic upbringing, Bishop Tymon was experienced in working with non-Catholics and was careful not to provoke anti-Catholic sentiment. For example, under his instruction, we sisters were not to proselytize or engage in discussion about religion with Protestants in our midst unless they were the ones who initiated such conversation. Bishop Tymon was indeed cautious, and, and rightly so, However, he knew bigotry when he saw it, and in his own follow-up letter, he suggested that anti-Catholic motivations were behind these protest letters. But Reverend Lord, still writing under the name Constituents, was relentless in his campaign. Dear Editor and Sirs, we protest the fact that the state legislature is funding not a public hospital, but a Roman Catholic one. It is dismaying that lawmakers, as servants of the whole public, will not fund a public hospital, but instead support a Roman Catholic one, and thus are willing to do for the Papists what they have never done for their own religious institutions. Once again, truly yours, constituents. This exchange is similar to how people behave today on what we call social media. Social media? It's a modern way to communicate. Through the use of electricity and technology, people exchange messages, opinions, and even misinformation, much like they did through newspapers in your day. Well, there was certainly no letting go of his campaign, under whatever name he used. In even more letters, Reverend Lord accused the government of being cohorts with the Catholic Church and suggested that we sisters would subject citizens to what he called Romish magic. Romish magic? For someone who claimed he was not motivated by religious bias, he certainly didn't prove it in his letters. But it appears Reverend Lord eventually did get his way within the legislature. After months of bitter debate, the legislature passed bills which prevented further state funding. Leading the effort to get those bills passed was Assemblyman John Putnam, a close friend of Reverend Lord. Gosh, what a coincidence. Well, like the saying goes, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Reverend Lord was a very influential man in Buffalo in his time. How did the sisters overcome this setback? While this was all playing out, there was a growing health crisis that forced us to shift our attention away from our critics. Cholera, a dreadful and oftentimes fatal disease, had emerged in 1849 and continued to spread into 1850. Now, it wouldn't be the first time that cholera appeared in Buffalo. The city's first outbreak happened in 1832, and there'd be another outbreak in 1854. Public sanitation left a lot to be desired back then, and that compromised the safety of local drinking water. The 1849 outbreak put our hospital to the test. The population of the city of Buffalo was estimated at that time to be about 40,000 people. 
More than 2,500 of those people became ill with cholera, and 850 of them died. At the peak of the local outbreak, up to 32 people were dying per day. Sister Ursula, the ambulance wagon has arrived. We have two more patients coming in. Thank you, Sister Claire. Sister Mary Aloysia tells me some beds are now available upstairs. Let's bring these patients there right away. Stay strong, Sister Claire. I will, Sister. I ask the Lord every moment for the energy to keep moving and the stamina to carry these poor souls who are too weak to walk. And do not be discouraged, Sister Claire. Many of these patients are in a later stage of the disease. I understand, Sister Ursula. We'll, we'll do what we can. I've heard the county has quickly set up another hospital to handle cholera patients. Will this mean relief for us? I fear not. It is only a reflection of how far this disease has spread. There you are, good sir. Rest now. And don't be afraid. We will care for you right away. My sisters and I cared for all who came into our hospital, regardless of their background, creed, or finances. More than half of our patients were too poor to pay for their care, but they still received it. In all, between 1849 and 1850, we admitted 134 cholera patients. Despite many of them having a late stage of the illness, 82 of our patients recovered. Our mortality rate was about 39%. By comparison, the public hospital hastily set up to take in cholera patients had a mortality rate of 53%. While we were saddened every time a patient died, we were encouraged that the survival rate was better for patients under our care. We may have upset many prominent leaders in the Buffalo community when we first opened the hospital, but our work treating cholera patients gained the respect of an important established medical source. The Buffalo Medical Journal, a respected publication in the 1800s, published an assessment of our work in 1851 and gave us high marks. Yeah, I took some time before coming here to dig up a copy of that report, which is available online. Online? <laughs> Sorry, sister. Again, the technology's changed a lot. Many books and journals from decades ago have been preserved by making images of them, which are then made available on this thing called the Internet. Now, I'll explain it to you after dinner, sister. But as I said, I found a copy of the Buffalo Medical Journal's assessment of your hospital. It observed your number of cases, how many survived, and it noted that your rate of survival was above that of the other practices and facilities around Buffalo. The report also praises your individual care of each patient, saying, quote, each patient admitted to the hospital was, at once, placed under the charge of one of the sisters and received her unceasing care. The degree of patience and endurance exhibited by the Sisters of Charity in their unwearied labors of mercy was a matter of astonishment, not less than of admiration. The journal further states, quote, whatever credit is due to the institution of the large proportion of recoveries belongs to those under whose immediate charge the institution is placed. Caring for the sick is what Jesus asks us to do as his servants. Again, it's one of his corporal works of mercy. But during that period in U.S. history, it was still considered non-traditional for women to work in hospitals and administrative roles. Perhaps it's that commitment to caring for the sick as taught by Jesus, which helped us prove to all doubters that we were most capable of providing health care in a hospital setting. 
In time, the state government recognized this too, and again provided us funding which allowed us to expand our hospital and build an orphanage. Your hospital also served as a teaching facility for medical students of the University at Buffalo, which had opened not too long before you arrived in town. And that was consistent with some of our spiritual works of mercy. Teach the ignorant and counsel those who need it. While medical students were certainly intelligent, they needed the education of experience. As they say, experience is the best teacher. Were you finally able to silence your doubters, especially that one Reverend John C. Lord? He was one stubborn man. Among his schemes to discredit us was to publish supposed testimonials from patients who claimed mistreatment by the sisters. Those testimonials alleged that we improperly treated non-Catholic patients, we were not properly trained in the medicine, and we were foreigners. Ah, yes. He was a nativist as well as an anti-Catholic. I guess taking that tactic shouldn't have surprised you, even though you were born in Maryland. Many sisters among me, though, were European. Fortunately, one of the allegedly mistreated patients retracted his story. His name was Michael Murphy. Speaking under oath, Mr. Murphy revealed that Reverend Lord offered him clothing and money so that he may travel to Canada, where he intended to go before he got sick. When in exchange... He was to tell the immigrant agent office that he was treated poorly by the sisters. How disappointing that a pastor would resort to that. But let's be thankful that Mr. Murphy had a change of heart and chose not to bear false witness against you. Meanwhile, the sisters and I went on to expand health care and human services. By 1854, after we were renamed the Daughters of Charity, we opened a local infant asylum and maternity hospital which allowed us to leave more space available at the main hospital for sick patients. We also opened an institution for the mentally ill. The hospital itself was becoming too small for the increasing demands of a growing city, and so in 1876, we opened a 300-bed facility to replace it at Main Street and Delavan Avenue in Buffalo. Our hospital relocated again in 1948 to its current space on Main Street near Kensington Avenue, and the roadway you call the Skajakwita. Today, Sisters of Charity Hospital is one of five hospitals operated by the organization Catholic Health. But what became of you and your fellow sisters? My fellow sisters held administrative roles into the 1980s. But as for me, after seven years leading Sisters of Charity Hospital, I was reassigned and left Buffalo. The other sisters were reassigned over time. Sister Hieronimo O'Brien, for one, led the opening of Rochester's first hospital, St. Mary's. Sister Mary Aloysia Lilly sadly died in Wilmington, Delaware, of cholera, the very disease we worked so hard to eradicate here in Buffalo. I lived to the age of 66, passing away from my earthly life in 1874. Reverend Lord died three years later. But please know this, as Jesus tells us in his prayer to his father, we must forgive those who trespass against us. I hold no grudge against Reverend Lord. May his earthly body rest in peace. And may we one day meet again more happily in God's heavenly kingdom. Amen, sister. I've enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you so much. Thank you for welcoming me to this dinner. I had eaten plenty of fish in my lifetime on earth, but the Caesar salad was something new to me. It was delicious. Well, let's look at the dessert menu, get some coffee with that, and I'll tell you more about those things known as social media and the internet. 
But in the meantime, let's get back to Bishop Mike for his personal reflection on Sister Ursula Mattingly and the important impact she and her Sisters of Charity left on the Diocese of Buffalo and the Western New York community. For generations, women religious have played a very important role in Catholic ministry, serving those Christ asks us to look after. Led by Sister Ursula Mattingly, a delegation of Sisters of Charity came to Buffalo at the request of Bishop John Tymon to form a health care system which allowed its providers and its patients to maintain their Catholic identity when it applied. While doing their work, aiding and treating the sick, Sister Ursula and her peers endured prejudice and bigotry. But the sisters overcame their opposition to provide health care, which at times exceeded that provided by their professional counterparts. Let us remember them with gratitude for hearing the cries of the poor and the sick and answering them with the grace, skill, and compassion we should all possess. The legacy of Sister Ursula and her peers lives on as Sisters of Charity Hospital continues to serve patients in Buffalo and Western New York and is the oldest existing hospital in this region. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dinners with Our Founders. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. You've been listening to Dinners with Our Founders, imagined one-on-one conversations spotlighting the lives of some of those who shaped the Roman Catholic Diocese of Buffalo throughout its history. This program was conceived by Patrick Beakey and produced by the Department of Communications of the Catholic Diocese of Buffalo. The voice talents participating were Bishop Michael Fisher as himself, Steve Seashon as your host, Marianne Heatherly as Sister Ursula Mattingly, Melissa Cumming as Sister Claire, Patrick Beakey, Joe Martone, and Christian Riso as the protesting gentleman. And I'm Michael Mrosiak. I played the role of Reverend John Lord. I'm also the show's writer and producer. Thank you for joining us for Dinners with Our Founders. Mm-hmm.